What's up, you guys? And welcome back to the Televised Podcast. My name is Anna. And today, we're going to be talking about Wonder Woman 1984. This is a movie that I really liked, and I, I wanted to talk about it because um, I think there's a lot of uh, takes <laughs> on this movie. Like, people have a lot of things to say about this movie. Um, you know, there were some... I think there was a lot of people who maybe were disappointed by this movie. Um, maybe were, I don't know, expecting something different from this movie. I don't know. I personally, I enjoyed it. I, I really did like it. And I will, you know, kind of get into talking about the things that I really did like about it. And and also, I you know, I do have some issues with it. And I, I will talk about that as well. Um, and for this, though, I... <laughs> I ended up watching, I rewatched um, the first movie, the first Wonder Woman, so I, because I just wanted to like refresh myself on the first one. And um, I think definitely that one was not without its problems either, you know? Um, definitely uh, had its fair share of uh, issues. I mean, no movie is perfect. <laughs> no movie will ever be perfect. No movie can ever be perfect. Um, so obviously the the first movie did have its issues and I think even in this movie Patty Jenkins worked to rectify those mistakes that she made in the first one and then but then ended up like making some people mad I don't know I don't know there's a lot to talk about with this movie I'm gonna try and keep this not too crazy or rambly or super long just because I feel like this is kind of like happiest season I don't want to say that but (laughs) Like where there there was a lot of there's a lot of like discourse around this movie that um you know can be really exhausting and I just kind of want to highlight some of the good things about this movie and maybe maybe remind not necessarily remind but kind of offer a more positive look on the movie um not that I feel like the response was like overwhelmingly negative but but it was definitely like lukewarm you know um and and honestly there's reasons that I think that that happened and I'm definitely going to get in, get into that too. Uh, but first I just want to talk about kind of the upcoming schedule for what I'm going to be doing um, on the podcast. Batwoman is starting up again soon. It's coming back in five days. Holy crap. That's awesome. I'm so excited. Uh, I'm really excited to get back into watching TV every single week, you know what I mean? <laughs> having something to watch, having something to, something to think about, something to talk about. It feels like it's been so long, and it has. It has been so long. I mean, for me, one of the only things that I've been watching live this year, or this for the past, like, six months is Station 19, but that was only back for five episodes, and then they went on a break, and they won't be back until, I think, February. So it definitely feels like I'm ready to get back into watching live television, and I'm excited about it. Um, that being said, Wonder Earth, <laughs> Batwoman, um, because it is coming back before Supergirl, I'm going to do weekly Batwoman recaps. I hope you guys enjoy. I know that when I've done solely Batwoman recaps in the past, like they weren't super popular, but I do want to talk about the show, and I, I do, I, I love the show so much, and I, I hope that more people are kind of excited about the show now that Ruby Rose is gone, because I know that a lot of people were definitely wary of Ruby 
heroes and of her acting skills and of just kind of the show in general, which is really disappointing because obviously all of the other characters and the other actors really just like carried that show for the first season. Not to say that Ruby didn't do anything because she did. And Kate Kane was such a cool and important character, but um, I'm really excited and I, I do see a lot of excitement around Ryan Wilder, which is really cool. So I will be talking about Batwoman um, every Wednesday after the episode air- episode will air on Sunday and I'm going to put out a Batwoman recap on Wednesday. Um, I might incorporate some other stuff that I want to talk about maybe into those episodes. Um, maybe if I feel like particularly um, interested in talking about Dickinson, I might talk about that because new episodes are coming out every Friday uh, for Dickinson, I think for the next like seven weeks or so. Um, and then, uh, what else is coming out? Nancy Drew. Nancy Drew is coming back, which I'm really, really thrilled about. That's such a great show. If you haven't watched it, uh, the whole first season is on HBO Max if you wanted to check it out. It's so good. So awesome. Um, Riverdale is coming back. I don't know if we'll ever talk about Riverdale, but <laughs> I do like Riverdale, so I'm excited for that to return. And, um, what else? Oh, probably when Superman and Lois first drops like I'll probably watch the pilot episode and do kind of like a mini review on it just to talk about some stuff you know I I have not good I it doesn't look good (laughs) the outlook is is drear for uh for sure for about Superman and Lois so I, but so I'll probably just like incorporate that into the Batwoman recap whenever that happens because they don't air until February I don't think so so yeah I, I hope that's cool with everyone um I'm probably gonna take a break on the like because uh, normally every once in a while like once a month or so I would put out like a Saturday episode um Uh, you know, kind of unrelated to whatever show that I'm currently reviewing, whether that was Supergirl or now Batwoman. Um, But I probably will take a break from that until um, Dickinson is over, just because that's the only thing, unless something comes out that just like blows my mind, but that's the only thing on the like immediate horizon that I could see myself wanting to do like a separate sit-down episode about. So, That will probably be the next episode that's not related to Batwoman. So, and I hate to do this because it just feels like I'm, I'm like booting people off the ship. Like if they don't watch Batwoman, like I, but I don't know what else to do. Like I, I want to talk about Batwoman and, and I do feel like it deserves to be talked about because it's a really great show. Um, but like I said, I'm more of a Supergirl podcast and I always have been, but it's not airing right now so it's like what am I what else am I supposed to do but yeah I guess just just let me know uh if people are interested in hearing about Batwoman especially because I I like I said I think that there's a lot more hype around season two than there was about season one so I hope that people um are interested in in listening to a recap and me talking about the episodes reviews and stuff um so yeah, just let me know. You could leave me a comment if you're watching on YouTube or you could tweet me at TelevisedPod. I also, on my Twitter, I have a curious cat. You can send me an anonymous thing if you just, if you don't want to at me, then let me know what you think about me doing Batwoman episodes there. Um, 
this was kind of the plan that I'd been like formulating for a while and I think I talked about it before that I would do Batwoman solely episodes but I you know it's it's definitely right around the corner now so like next Wednesday will be my Batwoman premiere recap which is really cool and really fun and I'm I'm excited to get back to doing weekly stuff but it's just like you know I I don't know if I have the audience for it so I hope I do let me know um sorry for all of this like rambling and ranting but uh, yeah just just let me know so anyway, back to Wonder Woman 1984. Like I said, I think I think that this movie had an uphill battle in two ways. First of all, it had an uphill battle because the first movie was so revered. Even though the first Wonder Woman movie had its issues, which to say... I'm not saying that it's like, oh, it's horrible because it had these issues. Obviously, I love the first Wonder Woman movie, and I think it's a really awesome movie. And like I said before, there's no movie without issues, <laughs> you know? And and one of the main issues of that first movie was the villain in the end. Uh, it kind of turned into like a big CGI, you know, like big giant fight that nobody really cared about, at least... I had a, you know, you have a hard time caring about a villain that you haven't spent a lot of time with that kind of, like, came out of nowhere, you know, and, um, so that was definitely an issue with the first movie that definitely a lot of reviewers pointed out at the time and were like, eh, the third act was a little bit, eh, you know, but the rest of the movie was great. That's kind of what they said, um, and I think that Patty definitely worked to fix that in this movie which ended up making some fans be like well what is all of this but (laughs) but I think she did a a good job of kind of like listening and taking that in um so that was like the first hurdle was kind of getting over the insane expectations that people had placed onto this movie this movie was supposed to come out two years ago I think because uh, it originally was scheduled for a 2019 release until it got, they decided to push it back. And then, obviously, it was supposed to come out in, what, June of 2021? And then it did not. <laughs> it kept getting pushed, obviously, because, and, and that's obviously no fault of the, uh, of anyone involved. It was obviously just our world situation, but, um, Because of that, I think it kind of drove anticipation even further and kind of bumped expectation even higher just because it had been so long since the first one came out that people were like, okay, well, now it's got to be like 10,000 times better than the first one, you know? And also, I think maybe people really romantic, not romanticize, but like hold the first one so high on a pedestal that there was no way that this movie could ever touch it, you know? Because, like, there was no way that Patty could replicate the feeling of seeing basically the first female superhero movie, you know, in this new new age of superhero movies that we have. That was the first one, you know, it's the first one for the DCEU. And then first one before even the MCU had their own female solo superhero movie. And so the hype behind that, the first Wonder Woman movie and the the feeling that the audience left with and the, you know, everything about it was kind of this perfect storm to make it such a beloved movie. Obviously, on top of that, that it was a really good movie. 
but that's just to say that that it kind of got maybe like obviously held like such a high place in the hearts and minds of the audience that that this next one I think it was inevitable that it would kind of fall a little flat or like you know at least in comparison to expectations like when I rewatched this movie I thought it was so much better on the rewatch because I let go of all of those expectations that I had all of those hopes and dreams that I thought that could happen in this movie all of the um you know, uh, uh, things that I had anticipated happening or ways that I wanted the storyline to go or me just, like, waiting for something to happen and I wasn't even sure what, you know what I mean, just, like, that those expectations weren't there the second time that I watched it and so I enjoyed it a lot more and I thought it was, I, I was able to kind of, like, remove the, um, like, pull back the veil and kind of see it with new eyes, you know, on the second time and be like, yeah, this is a good movie. Like, obviously, I don't love it as much as the first one. I, you know, like I said, same thing for me. I really hold that first movie up high on a pedestal, but I think that this one is really strong and it's a really cool sequel to that first movie. Um, And then the second hurdle that I think that this movie had to face was the fact that most people watched it at home. And that might sound really ridiculous, really stupid, and you might say, well, it's the same movie whether you watch it at home or on a big screen. And absolutely, that is true. But you can't deny that the theatrical experience changes how you view a movie. It does. It it changes how you're experiencing that movie, especially a movie like this, where for me, I got to see it in the theater. I was lucky enough that my local theaters are open. Uh, I know that that's not the case for a lot of people, and that's really sad, and that's really unfortunate that they couldn't see this movie on a big screen, Um, but my local theaters are open, so I went the day after Christmas on uh, Saturday, and I went with my mom, and we sat in the theater and it was sold out. Obviously, only sell they only uh, sell tickets to like 40% capacity, so there was not really all that many people in there, but it definitely looked sold out for, you know, like 40%. Um, and it was really a, such a fun experience because obviously there's that scene where Diana like is, you know, lassoing on the lightning and that is such a theatrical scene that you want to see in the theater, you know, and, and, and the moment with the invisible jet, that was so fun to, like, anticipate in the theater and then see it, you know, and, um, it was just fun to watch it in the theater, and I cried with my mom, you know, when Steve died again, <laughs> and, you know, to, to have the experience of, of experiencing all those emotions with all of these people that are around you, it heightens the experience and it makes it more fun. Um, And so I think that unfortunately, with this movie being released, you know, at home more so than in a theater and more people seeing it online or like even, you know, I'm sure that there are people out there who watched it on their phone, you know, like that's the tiniest screen that you could find. And this movie was made for a gigantic screen. It was made to be a summer blockbuster popcorn movie, you know? And I think that definitely kind of had an impact on the way that people 
watched this movie and the way that people felt about it, which you could say is dumb or whatever, but I, I don't know. I really think so. I think that if I hadn't been able to go see it in the theater, like, the first time, obviously I probably would have liked it as much and loved it as much, but I don't know. You know, some of those scenes, it's like, yes, you know, you're in the theater and Diana's, like, running down, um, Pennsylvania Avenue or wherever she was running I can't remember (laughs) she was running through DC and you're like yes you know and and the cheetah fight on the big screen was so cool and it was just it was a really really cool film to experience in the theater because I mean like I said that's how these movies are meant to be consumed and it just makes me sad that Warner is doing this kind of simultaneous release for seemingly all of their movies for the foreseeable future. And I I just hope that the theaters can survive long enough for everybody to get back to them. That's my main concern. Um, so if, I don't know, if, if you live somewhere and your theaters are open and you didn't, and you passed on this movie the first time, I would go check out your local AMC, go watch it in the theater it made a big difference. Uh, They're being really safe at all these AMCs, like cleaning everything, masks are required the whole entire time. You know, everybody's really spaced out. I felt really safe doing it. You know, obviously, if that's not feasible for you, then I'm sorry. (laughs) But I definitely think that if you have the opportunity, if you feel comfortable, it's definitely a movie worth seeing on the big screen if you haven't already. One thing that I loved about this movie was how Patty leaned into the 80s aspect of this movie. The beginning, like the entire, almost the entire first act feels like a cheesy 80s movie. And I really enjoyed that. I thought it was really fun. I thought that, you know, in the same way that the first one felt like a war movie, this one felt like a cheesy 80s movie. And you're you're like, yeah, I believe that this is the 80s and and that, you know, she's swinging around saving the bride from who fell off the the bridge and and saving that little girl in the in the mall. Um I thought that that was really smart and I thought it was really fun cuz I think, you know, Patty is is such a uh an interesting filmmaker in that way where she knows what she's doing and she knows what she wants to execute and how she wants to execute it and it just felt like it was very nostalgic even though obviously it's this brand new movie that I'd never seen before I'm like man this feels so nostalgic kind of like a comfort vibe that you get coming from that first act and I really really enjoyed that um Also, I think some of the, like, goofier moments in the movie, maybe, you know, that scene where, obviously, the mall scene, and then with Barbara when she goes to the gym, like, that was kind of a goofy moment, and Steve trying on all the outfits, and and the invisible jet, all of those kind of moments came together to, like, add to that kind of, like, cheesy aspect of the movie that I really enjoyed. I thought worked really, really well. Um, especially the invisible jet scene. I thought that was so cool. I was so excited. I was so hyped in the theater. Like, I knew it was coming. And sh- and and the way that Patty does things, especially, like, suit reveals or, like, the reveal of the invisible jet, she, like, leads up to it and, like, teases it and stuff. And I was like, just show me the invisible jet. And she did. And it was so it was so good. <laughs> um, so obviously there's a 
very hotly debated aspect of this movie, and that is the return of Steve Trevor and Diana's storyline with him. Um, I think that this movie does an insanely good job establishing how alone, isolated, and genuinely trapped in the past Diana is. Because the thing is that the the way that Patty makes movies, she's not going to tell you anything. You know what I mean? Like, she doesn't have to, she doesn't want to have to use dialogue to point stuff out. So she does it in a, in some brilliant little ways that I think people kind of glossed over. Um, you know, by showing pictures of her with that, at like Trevor Ranch, you know, to show that she's still obviously thinking about Steve all the time. And her with Etta, the older picture with, um, her and Etta when she's, you know, older, and, and we then assume that she has since passed away, um, and it's, it's interesting because obviously that's a part of immortality that is really interesting, and a lot of heroes, even though not, well, definitely not all heroes are immortal, but with the ones that are, it feels like some of these storylines are kind of shied away from, like, I don't know if I've ever seen a Superman story tackle his immortality, or at least the fact that he will most definitely outlive Lois and, you know, all of his friends and his co-workers and everything. He's going to outlive every single one of them. And that's one thing that I really appreciated about this movie was that they showed Diana. They showed the consequences of being Diana, of being of Themyscira, of being a demigod, of being immortal. And like I said, that's something that I feel like a lot of superhero movies have kind of shied away from because they want to focus on, you know, at least in the Superman realm. I mean, hell, they just made a show called Superman and Lois. Like, they want to focus on that dynamic duo, but they don't want to talk about the fact that he's going to outlive her, for sure. You know, he's aging much, much slower than she is, and he will eventually have to bury her when he still looks like he's 30 and she was maybe, you know, like maybe she dies in her 90s, you know, and and that's really an upsetting revelation, especially it's kind of the same with Supergirl, thinking about how Kara is going to outlive Alex and potentially Nia and Wynn and um, Lena and all of these other characters and Kelly and James and everyone, she's going to outlive all of her friends She's going to have to watch them all grow old and die, and she's going to have to keep going. And that's one thing that I appreciate about this movie. Like I said, they were able to tackle that story. And about how Diana, like, refuses to move forward. She refuses to let herself live in the present because she's so stuck in the past. And I I think that it just made so much sense, and especially after re-watching that first movie, seeing a Steve... He was her first positive human interaction, her first positive experience, you know, with humanity, and really her only positive experience with humanity besides maybe, you know, Etta and Charlie and all of those people. Everything else was pretty shit. Like, you know, the war, the, the you know, all of that. It was terrible. <laughs> um, and And he ended up obviously sacrificing himself before they could really ever do anything, and she was kind of left in limbo with him. You know, she didn't have closure. And also, you know, growing up on Themyscira, 
everybody is immortal on Themyscira, or at least lives for thousands upon thousands of years, so Diana has never really had to deal with loss in that way. She's never had to grieve, she's never had to process any of those emotions related to people that she loves dying. She's never had to do that. I mean, really, the only person that passed away that we know of in her entire lifetime was her was Antiope. And she didn't even really get to mourn her. She had to go off and fight because she wanted to avenge her. But the thing is that Diana, she never really learned how to move on, I don't think. You know, like, on Themyscira, they never had to deal with any of that, any kind of death in that way. At least Diana didn't. She was never exposed to that. So she didn't know any kind of coping mechanism. And with the way that she shut herself off from the world, it seems... I don't think she had any interest to learn, you know? She was kind of content to just live with the ghost of Steve. She didn't think that people were worth it, and that's so interesting. And it's why that picture of Etta is so important, because obviously Diana stuck with her for so long, up until she died, and then was forced to move on with her life, you know, and move to the United States. And it's the type of story that lends itself to this character because that is, it's a struggle so personal to Diana, her immortality and her inexperience with human emotion and with mortality and with having to move on and deal with it. She obviously, she doesn't have anybody. After Etta died, it's assumed that she just moves to the, to the United States and doesn't contact anybody again, you know? And... That's so sad. Like, she obviously doesn't have her family. She made the choice to leave Themyscira and she can never go back. And it's just, like, I thought it was really upsetting and, and really interesting. Because it's her immortality mixed with her distrust of humanity, it, like, forces her into isolation. And she, like, does what she can to save people because she always still believes in love and believes in humanity and believes that humans can be better and that they deserve to be saved, but she doesn't feel like it's worth it because she doesn't want to be hurt anymore. And that's why I really loved her story with Barbara in this movie. I feel like she, she kind of saw the best parts of Steve in Barbara. Like, that's why Barbara... And so I think that that's why Barbara was the first person that she really opened up to since literally all of her friends have passed away and it seems like, you know, she hasn't made any new friends in all of that time. And I thought that was so cool because Diana saw someone just as lonely as her, saw how bright her light was and how kind her heart was, and decided that she was worth the pain of inevitably losing her. And that's why I think her story is potentially... Barbara's, I mean, going to continue into Wonder Woman 3, but we'll talk about that later. I've got some theories. <laughs> but speaking of Cheetah and speaking of Barbara, her story was obviously kind of one of the more uh, unresolved aspects of the film, but I, I think that she'll be back, which is why I think they kind of got away with that in my mind. Like, I let them get away with leaving Barbara a little bit open-ended because I, I genuinely feel like she's going to be back for the third movie. So I kind of was like, okay, I'll let you get away with that. <laughs> but I do understand why people have valid criticisms about Barbara's storyline and how it kind of felt unfinished. 
Um, but so I, I do understand that. Um, I did, one thing that I did appreciate was that throughout the film, we obviously see Barbara and Max wishing and wishing and wishing, and even Diana does too, and and clearly she has a hard time letting go of her wish, but in the end, she does. Like, she lets go of that wish, and it's because she's Wonder Woman, and of course, you know, she has to. Of course she would. She has this heart of gold, and she always does what's right, so of course she's selfless enough to let Steve go again. And that's why I think Barbara and Max are kind of more, they're like the audience inserts kind of in this movie because like, I don't know about y'all, but it would be really hard to give up that kind of wish. You know, I mean, look at Barbara, like she felt so powerless and like her whole life felt so powerless and invisible and all of a sudden people talk to her and people pay attention to her and she is powerful and she can defend herself and she can do everything that she never thought she'd be able to do and then Barbara's or excuse me and then Diana's asking her to give it all up like uh -uh. (laughs) you know it's an extremely relatable idea and 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 that's what I liked about this movie is is that they made it so that the characters, the villains of the movie, are, yes, they're selfish and they do things that are almost unforgivable, but they're not. Like, Max still gets to be redeemed in the end, which is just a, mes- a message about humanity and how people make mistakes, but there is a coming back from them, which I really appreciated because it's like, you know, for them to take these two villains and especially Max specifically and make him redeemable and make him even though he says yes I did horrible things and he tells his son you know when you hear about me I'm not going to say that I didn't do them because I did but just know that I love you you know despite all of these awful things that I did I I decided to stop (laughs) because I love you and because I wanted to make sure that you had a good life with me. I really appreciated that. And and that kind of harkens back to the idea of that first movie, you know, having that villain that wasn't very fleshed out. It, we kind of met him at the end, you know, and it was like, oh, okay. But this time you have this villain who is so complex and so interesting and we follow him as he kind of devolves into madness. And That's why I think her speech about, you know, Max, you don't have to do this. You can be with your son. This is not what life is like. This is not the truth. I thought that that was so cool and and, and it worked so much better for me than the finale of the first movie, um, which I, I just thought was really awesome. And I think Patty did a wonderful job of taking that criticism from the first movie and applying it to this movie. Um, but then obviously people kind of were like, why did Max have so much screen time? But like, you have to, in order to have a good movie, you have to have characters that are all developed. And don't you want Wonder Woman to fight a actually well-developed and interesting character rather than like an idea that they kind of just threw out at the end? You know what I mean? Like, it's more of a service to Diana to place her against a character that is well-rounded and is, you know, uh, intricately crafted 
you know, like, because then she has somebody to go up against that feels fleshed out and feels like a foe to her in a way because she can't figure out how to how to manage the selfishness. She can't figure out how to appeal to humanity and get them to not be selfish. Like, that's what she's trying to do. And, and it's And it's so interesting and it made me think of Supergirl. The finale of this Wonder Woman movie made me think of many Supergirl finales where the answer is not found with your fist. The answer is not found with beating the hell out of people you don't like. It's found by understanding and having compassion and hope and 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 reaching out and appealing to people's hearts. And I really loved that. I loved that, especially, you know, in an age where, you know, we see a lot of villains get the tar beat out of them. I thought that this one worked really well. I thought it was really cool. And I I also thought it was smart of Patty to kind of chip away at Diana's powers for this movie. Um, Because when you have a character who is quite literally a god, it's hard to write those characters into situations where any kind of struggle would be believable. And so I totally understand, like, taking her powers away because then there can be ups and downs to her story and to this story as a whole. And and to put her powers... I thought this was interesting because to put her powers, which are, you know, obviously the tool that she uses to help people and to save humanity, up against her love for Steve and her desire to, like, still be with him... It was a cool choice, and it made Diana choose between what is essentially, you know, a ghost, Steve's ghost, like a, a memory from the past, and what Steve had actually wanted for her. Like, he believed in her heroism so much. His dying wish was basically, I can save today, you can save the world. And she ultimately knew that she would rather carry on with Steve in her heart and helping to save the world rather than hang on to Steve's ghost and try and hope and want to have them back, you know? And I thought that was really interesting because it felt like Diana was choosing not only the better option for her, because obviously she um, knew that in order to do what she has to do, she had to give up Steve, but she was also choosing the better option for Steve because then, you know, he says it in the movie, he's like, I had a good life. I had a good life and I enjoyed my time with you and I'm so thankful that we got this time but now you have to go and you have to move on and you have to do what you need to do and I loved that she kind of then decided you know what it was what Steve wanted for me his dying wish you know back in the 20s or uh, 1918 kind of back then (laughs) you know um it's what he wanted for me, so I'm going to do it. So, circling back to Diana and Barbara for a second, I'm just going to say that I shipped them so hard. <laughs> I think that they worked so well together, and they could make a really cool couple if they go there in the third one. Because um, there was moments in the film where Diana was, like, clearly, like, jealous of Max and, and Barbara. And, like, there was so many like flirty moments or like couple tropes that you saw like when she saved Barbara or like when she picked up Barbara's papers 
And, and you can't tell me that the dinner date that they had wasn't a date, because <laughs> it was. And I also loved how Diana tried to emotionally appeal to Barbara, and how she asked where her heart and her warmth went. And, and that's kind of where I see, you know, uh, Diana seeing parts of Steve in Barbara, because she loved Steve for his heart and for his selfless selflessness and for you know, every good thing that he has ever done that she saw him do. And that's what I think that she saw in Barbara. And to me, seeing Diana so defeated in that moment, it was so heartbreaking. And it showed that also that she is a flawed character and she can make mistakes. And it brings her down to that human level that people can relate to and people can understand. And I thought that worked really well. For me, I thought that this sequel worked just really well, especially after watching the two movies back to back. You can see the through lines of hope and humanity and compassion through each of them. And I think people are being harsh on this movie. They should revisit the first one because I don't think that it's as perfect as you remember it being. Like I said before, you know, kind of was held up on a pedestal. And and to me, you know, Patty kind of took the things that needed to be kind of tweaked and did that in this movie. And I just thought that it worked really well as a sequel because it it was able, like I was talking about earlier, you know, it was able to show the consequences of immortality and the consequences also of kind of shutting yourself off. Like, you know, Diana was so, so vulnerable to the stone to her own wish and that's the thing everybody was so that's the whole thing in the movie everybody was so vulnerable because of the idea of want and that was so that is another thing that was really cool about setting this movie in the 80s because obviously that was like the peak of consumerism obviously we still are in consumerism but like it really kicked off in the 80s when people are like you know it's just want 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 people want more and I thought that was really in, a cool idea to say, hey, look, we're going to set this movie in the 80s at the height of consumerism and of, of want, like insatiable want. And we're going to give people the ability to have whatever they want. <laughs> and it was, I thought it was really cool and it worked really well for me. Um, and I also loved how Diana was clearly always trying to stay out of the spotlight. You know, she smashed security cameras in the mall in order to stay as hidden as possible. And I think that's such an interesting take on a, a superhero in the modern day. Even though obviously the movie took place back in the day, it's still, you know, in our modern scope of when we're viewing them. Um, and it honestly, that scene in the mall made me hearken back to Justice League, um, where there was that cell phone video recording of Superman kind of in the beginning of him interacting with the kids and, and how that was like representative of how Superman is a symbol almost more so than he is a hero. And Wonder Woman, on the other hand, kind of staying out of the spotlight and not really becoming a beacon of anything and just helping people in need is so interesting because, you know, it's almost like everybody wants to be a brand, a personality, a, a a symbol. But Diana doesn't want that. She just wants to help people. And I thought that was really cool. And, and really, she does become a symbol. 
but only for the people who she has personally helped, which I think, you know, is interesting and a really interesting commentary on the the way that we kind of make these characters or make people into symbols and into icons. It's interesting. Um, as for Wonder Woman 3, I have a great feeling that Cheetah will return, especially because Barbara never took back her first wish. And hear me out here. So her original wish was to be like Diana, and that was made using actually the physical stone. But then she made a second wish using Max, which was obviously to be an apex predator. And that wish had to be taken back, obviously, because when Max took his wish back, it undid all the wishes everyone made via him. It's kind of like wishception. But Barbara's original wish wasn't made via Max, so she technically could have remained immortal and can definitely show up in the third movie. I hope in the third movie we can see them work together, and I, I definitely want Diana to go back to Themyscira. I want her to find Themyscira again. I think that that would be perfect. Um, and Gal says she wants it to take place in the present, which I definitely agree. As much as I love, you know, the war movie that Patty made and then the 80s movie that Patty made, I definitely want a Wonder Woman movie set in the present. I think it'd be really cool. I also thought Gal was really awesome in this movie. Diana's helplessness was so on point and her performance during the scene where she had to take back her wish was so heartbreaking. I mean, I cried in the theater so hard. <laughs> yeah, so I really, really, really enjoyed this movie. I just kind of wanted to hit on the things that I really liked about it, kind of talk about some of my, not theories, but just some of the reasoning that I have created to, you know, kind of back up this movie and defend it a bit from people who maybe didn't like it as much. I had people saying to me that it was, like, anti-feminist. I had people saying that it was, you know, like, just as bad as Supergirl with Monel. I'm like, guys, what movie are you watching? Because <laughs> it definitely was not any of that. It was not. It just... I think that that is a very surface level interpretation of this movie and I think not even because it just it none of that is right. <laughs> um but yeah, so definitely let me know what you think about Wonder Woman. Um I really enjoyed it obviously. Uh let me know if if you liked it. You can leave me a comment down below or you can tweet me at televisepod and let me know what you think. Um and yeah, uh, like, share, rate, subscribe, do all the things, uh, and I will see you guys next week. Bye.